1: Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in during these, our days of pandemic that continue. Uh, today's story is about a- another sort of infection, but it's an infection, uh, the, you know, we've been going back and forth about this off the air. Uh, we will quite enjoy the title of this. We're going to call this in Your Mysterious English Sweat. Hi, I'm Ben. I don't know. You know, I, I like to say Switz. The Switz. That's
0: mm. a little more Australian, maybe. Maybe or New Zealand. Is it New, Zeal- New, yeah. Z- New Zealand. Yeah, that's the, the ear sound. Like, I don't know. Watch out for bits. Bits and Switz. Watch out for, and yeah. which, which out for swit and swit, bits. Never mind. Oh, God. Off to a smashing story here. But no, Ben, you had the brilliant idea of the Henry VIII and the English sweats. Sounds like uh, some kind of like new wave band or like yeah. a, a band that might've played at like CBGB's in the eighties. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know. What do you think?
1: I think you're spot on with the time period. It maybe could have been part of the earlier British invasion. Some group that like just never got out of Yorkshire.
0: Yeah. Like a skiffle band, perhaps. Right.
1: right. You're yeah. reading the headlines about the Beatles and they were like, one day fellas, <laughs> yes. one day mites Uh, Speaking of mates, we want to give a shout out, of course, to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Uh, Casey has, uh, like the three of us, never suffered, as far as we know, from uh, the notorious English sweats, uh, I, I assume, right, Casey? You're English sweat free?
0: I've had the American sweats a few times, but not the English ones. I think when I was over there, it was like October. So, you know, it was it was nice weather. Sweating was not necessary. Mm -hmm. That's a Casey on the case right there.
1: When I think of uh, American sweats, when you first said that, Casey, I was thinking of uh, the meat sweats. You guys know what that is, right? Where you eat so much Mm -hmm. barbecue or something that you're like, I'm sweating from the physical exertion of eating. I have to lay down.
0: That's the American sweats right there. But, yeah, we're not talking about meat sweats, though. We're talking about, like, you know, pretty serious disease sweats that could uh, lay you out and then eventually kill you. Um, And it was something that very disproportionately affected, like, the wealthy, which is kind of interesting. I, I, I sort of, got to say, there's a certain poetic justice to that, you know, a disease that only affects the wealthy. Um, and there's some reasoning behind that uh, in this story uh, about this kind of strange pandemic that swept the land and then, boop, just blipped out of existence like Trump thinks the, uh, the coronavirus is going to. Oh,
1: uh, yeah, yeah. Sweating sickness, real thing, also known as the sweats, the English sweating sickness, we'll find out why in a second, or English sweat, or for the Latin lovers in the crowd, sudor anglicus. You're right, Noel. uh, This is a mysterious infection. Uh, To to examine the story, we're going to have to start in the late 1400s. We don't know whether there was a patient zero for sweating sickness. We don't know who first got it, but we do know that there's a contingent of historians who believe it originally was brought to England by mercenaries hired by Henry VIII's father. Uh, there, The mercenaries were there to seize the throne of England for Henry's line. This move, bringing in the mercenaries, ended what's known as the War of the Roses in 1487, but... As, as historians believe, again, we're not 100% on this, as historians believe, uh, the, the same importation of these foreign soldiers may have ushered in the infection known as sweating sickness.
0: That's right. Some I'm going to call them historical epidemiologists, but that might not be a thing. They might just be regular historians, but there's some theories um, that indicate that, uh, in, that this, this disease was brought to England by the French, uh, specifically mercenaries um, in Henry Tudor's army, but there's a lot of different theories behind this, and there aren't really any reports of it affecting the Tudor army which is interesting. So Tudor arrived in London uh, following the Battle of Bosworth Field, which is the most British-sounding name for a field I could think of. That happened on the August the 28th of 1485, and that's kind of the event that, you know, you can sort of mark as the beginning of this epidemic. Uh, it's It started uh, about three weeks later on the 19th of September in 1485. Uh, we don't really know who patient zero was exactly, um, but it kind of spread pretty widely, at least in the region um, where it first appeared. It became, it was, it was, a um, Remarked upon as a new kind of sickness. This is in plague, plague times, not not plague time, but they, people were aware of these kinds of diseases. It was a big deal. The plague killed an obscene number of people in the uh, 1300s. The Black Ooh. Death, the bubonic plague. You know the. Do you know that they call those things the pus-filled boils? They call them buboes?
1: Yeah, bubos. Yeah, yeah.
0: I've always found that comical sounding, but it's obviously not comical at all.
1: Uh, This is going to sound weird out of context, but when I was really going through my Black Plague phase, I had a fish named Bubos. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I was just, I don't know, my young way connecting it.
0: I love that movie, A Fish Called Bubos.
1: A Fish Called Bubos, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a spinoff of the earlier film, The Navigator. Uh, Exactly. So you're right. Uh, Between 1346 and 1353, this unprecedented wave of bubonic plague Devastated the known world. And it had such an impact that uh, people alive in the late 1400s were very much aware of this. The world population was still struggling to recover. Over 20 million people in Europe alone died because of the bubonic plague. This is serious, serious stuff. And as a matter of fact, bit of a tangent, we can see the consequences of the bubonic plague in 2020 today. In fact, some people in parts of Europe are born naturally, genetically resistant to uh, HIV infection due to, uh, historians believe, the bubonic plague. But, but he, to your point, sweating sickness does not seem to be related to the plague. You didn't get bubos with it. Uh, You didn't have some of the same signs of transmission. As far as medical authorities at the time could tell, sweating sickness just sort of popped up randomly in different locations. And it was they found some patterns. They said, "Okay, it's always after a long period of rainfall or it's always after flooding. And usually it affects two demographics of people, either the very, very wealthy or the very, very poor.
0: Okay, my bad. I said it affected the wealthy uh, uh disproportionately, but apparently it was proportionately with the poor. Uh what what about the middles? What what have they get out of it? What what's what's the deal with that? I don't understand.
1: Were they just spared by the sweat gods? England soldiers on, man. You know, England endures. However, how did they say that in V for Vendetta? Well, if you're a fan, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, you're right. It is a bit of a mystery, isn't it? For those historians of epidemiology, we know that the disease was deadly. It killed thousands of people. And just like parts of the world today with the coronavirus pandemic, people were terrified. They were they were panicking and they were panicking because Not only were people of the time very unclear on how the disease spread, but we also knew that it could kill people at an incredibly quick rate. Like if you traveled back to London in this time, you could spend a day there and you would hear multiple people just you would overhear them as you walk by talking about how they saw someone drop dead in the street with no Mm. no like. No preface, no pre-existing condition. Maybe they're just kind of sweaty, and then fa-bump.
0: Yeah, like in the same way that like, you know, maybe for coronavirus, the fever is a big indicator. With this one, it was the sweat. So if you see someone sweating profusely, you probably were going to steer clear. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, it was like like we said, it was uh, really out of control in London. Um, and we have this delightful, and that's the wrong word entirely. I say it's delightful because it's written in this kind of old English style uh, account of one of these moments that you're describing, Ben, by Thomas Forestier. Uh, forestier he's a Frenchman, uh, and he had this to say. About such an encounter We saw two priests And this is me interpreting this old English writing So bear with me, it might be fun Uh, We saw two priests Standing together and speaking together uh, And we saw both of them Die, suddenly Also in die, proximi We saw See the whiff of a tailor Taken and suddenly died Another young man uh, Walking by the street Fell down, suddenly that was a weird one. I feel like I was lapsing into like Russian and then like a little bit of Irish and I don't know. I was just reading it phonetically, but I think the takeaway is he saw two priests talking uh, and then he saw one of them die (laughs) suddenly.
1: Yeah. It makes you think, right? Hold your loved ones close.
0: Oh, and a tailor as well, a a tailor nearby in proximity, I assume means in the same area, there was a tailor who also Mm -hmm. suddenly died.
1: I think maybe, and I may be wrong here, but I, I think it could be proxy as in a little bit later in time. But either, uh. way, either way, we know either like right in the same location. Yeah, that's probably right. It's probably the same location.
0: Well, then there's a third one. There's also a young man walking by the street also fell down suddenly, but we don't know if he died.
1: Yeah, because at that point, we can only uh, we can only imagine that our French physician decided caution was the better part of valor and ran away yes sir
2: happy pride from tomboy x celebrating pride and the queer community all year queer founded queer run and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin tomboy x just dropped their pride 24 collection Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit tomboyx.com.
1: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile.
0: You know, Ben, I gotta say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get, where you're like, "Man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me?"
1: <laughs> you're right. Noel. it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for fifteen bucks a month when you purchase a three month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text,
0: and data for fifteen bucks a month.
1: See Mint Mobile for details. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to
0: hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
1: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. Visit Snagajob.com or text SNAG to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So the symptoms were incredibly swift. Okay, you, I said there were no pre-existing conditions. What we mean by that is it's not a situation where over the course of eight days, you would see someone steadily degrade. Instead, uh, just a few hours before they died, from what we understand, the victim would start having cold shivers, severe pains in the head and their neck. And then that would be followed by those notorious hot sweats. And finally, an overpowering urge to take a snooze. (laughs) Right. And and, um, it's, it's strange because There are also other symptoms that are reported, right? Uh, According to pastmedicalhistory.co.uk, people said that the sufferers smelled bad. I don't want to be rude, but I do want to point out that in Europe and in England, in the late 1400s, hygiene was a different game. So for someone to smell noticeably bad, it would be something that was incredibly apparent to someone living in 2020, right? We we're just showering less often. We didn't have a whole industry to make us smell less human.
0: Yeah, it was just a smelly time. Remember the Great Stink of London? I mean, this is a thing. It was, in general, it was a smelly town. You know, there would be, there, like, wasn't proper indoor plumbing yet? I mean, there was. Was there? The Great Stink of London is what caused those uh, um, advancements in in plumbing, right?
1: Yeah, because uh, at the time before that, even a little after that, one of the most common ways of disposing of sewage or food waste from your house was to uh, throw it in the gutter, which was in the middle of the street. <laughs> so it, it was it was rough. And uh, we have the description from our French physician about what the disease looked like. And remember, this is a learned individual, and he, you know, is still writing in that same language, which we, tragedy aside, I think the three of us find it it's somewhat delightful. So he says, And the sickness cometh with a great sweating and stinking, with redness of the face and of all the body, and of a continual thirst, with a great hit and headache, because of the fumes and the venoms. All over the place with that. Do you see how what it makes
0: you do, though? The fumes. You sound like Inspector Clouseau, you know, for a second there. I love it. And we're not making fun of anybody because these no. people aren't alive anymore. And nobody talks like this anymore. So we've got
1: carte blanche to go to town. Yeah. And, and, and you know, to be honest, not to talk too much about the acting process here, but it's a, it's a French physician writing in Old English. So there's some layers I'm kidding that was just a that was just a garbage accident, but the an even scarier thing about this, Noel is that we know that this was not just one phase right there wasn't just one epidemic right
0: no, and you know, and again, it's an interesting one to be doing right now because. We're in, an, we're in a time right now where a lot of uh, governors and a lot of the states are like reopening and kind of there's talk about like, oh, let's just send kids back to school. Uh, and uh, we haven't even seen the second wave yet of our personal pandemic. And um, if history is to be believed, and it should be, and often repeats itself, if it's not, um, then you know we could be looking at a, at a pretty nasty situation with the second wave. And that's what happened here, um, much like the second wave of the Spanish flu of 1918. From 1485 through 1551, they had five epidemics of this – very, very dangerous sickness um, that absolutely uh, just b- burned its way uh, through England, um, and then also made its way into Europe, um, and and it had like what are we looking at for coronavirus? The mortality rate is super low
1: compared to this. Compared yeah. to
0: this, this was thirty to fifty percent mortality rates. That's bonkers. Like that's. Uh, t- I mean, you know, you think we're living in a panic situation right now? Can you imagine if? 50% of the people that contracted COVID-19 just dropped dead on the spot. Yikes.
1: Mm-hmm. And and another difference here is that the sweating sickness, when it came on uh, so fast and so uh, intensely, uh, it also led to a quick recovery. The idea was if you were one of the 50 to 70 lucky percent who would not die in the first few hours of exhibiting symptoms, once you got to hour 24, you were kind of out of the woods. They were guessing because nobody knew how to prevent this. Nobody knew how to treat it. They just knew people started sweating and then they died. That outbreak in 1485 lasted until late October and then it disappeared. A Kaiser associate for several years. You would hear smaller reports of smaller outbreaks At the, you know, every so often, every blue moon until that is 1507. Uh, Don't call it a comeback or do call it a comeback because the sweating sickness returned and people who were alive in 1485 and had lived through that hellish time instantly knew that this was the same disease. The same infection had come calling again and then it subsided. And people thought, okay, second wave, we survived, right? Uh, but they were wrong. Yeah, I
0: think, like you said, there were five waves. Um, and they were absolutely wrong. And then the third wave in 1517 hit, and that was even more severe. Um, and that actually made it across the English Channel uh, to Calais. I love Calais. I've always loved uh, when people talk about Calais. Calou Calais. Oh, Fraptious Day. Isn't that from uh, Alice in Wonderland? No.
1: Wait. Jabberwocky.
0: Yeah, there we go. But it still seemed to be that the English were the ones that were bearing the brunt of this. Um, It was almost like a cursed kind of situation. In 1528, um, it reached its peak epidemic uh, level proportions once again, um, this time spreading into Europe. Hamburg, Switzerland, Sweden, Norway, and Denmark were all affected, but none of them got hit nearly as hard as England. Um, And at the time, a French ambassador named Cardinal du Bellet described it as the easiest disease in the world to die of.
1: Yeah, yeah. In June of 1528, he put the facts pretty plainly. He said, you have a slight pain in the head and at the heart. All at once, you begin to sweat. There's no need for a physician. You're taken off without languishing. Uh, he He also talked about the escalation of the number of deaths in the a uh, pandemic wave that you described, Noel. He says, uh, about two thousand had been attacked by it in London twelve years ago when the same thing happened. Ten thousand people died in the space of ten or twelve days, but it was not so sharp as it's now beginning to be. Everybody's terribly alarmed. He's almost like a is almost like one of those medical experts in the very end of twenty nineteen, very beginning of twenty twenty. Who are telling us this is going to be bad? Uh, he, he predicted a rise. The last major outbreak of the disease, sweating sickness, occurred in England in 1551, and after this, it's disappeared completely, and hasn't been seen since. So far, I hate to do it. I ha- I have to drop so far. Of course you do.
0: Um, And, you know, I I actually posted a thing on my Instagram story a couple weeks ago that was just kind of like adding insult to injury. It was an an article from the New York Times saying bubonic plague found in Chinese herdsmen. (laughs) You know, it's like, of course it was. Turns out they find it every now and then. Right. Yeah. It's certainly yeah. it's a thing. Like so. I you know, it was. I definitely was being alarmist about it. Like, yeah. Okay. Great. We got plagues of locusts and you know disease and uh, uh, famine and Ooh. you know all of this stuff and and wildfires in Australia. Now we got bubonic plague again.
1: Yeah. I've got one closer to home for you. I did a story for this on on Strange News Daily. So those two Mongolian brothers who tested positive for the plague, they were locked down. You're right. It does happen um more often than gets reported squirrels in colorado tested positive for bubonic plague like this week tight love that did you say tight i did say tight (laughs) Uh, but what's the deal so are we
0: are we immune are we like inoculated against that or i mean i know you can just treat it with like uh uh penicillin um but what's like why 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 is there why would that not spread in the way That novel coronavirus is spread if squirrels have it.
1: Well, in the case of bubonic plague, there's some good news, which arrived too late to save the millions of victims in the uh, 1300s. There's like a very small chance that you might get bubonic plague. And if you did. Humanity has a cure now. So we can, we can cure the plague. That's why when you see those reports of like prairie dogs in the western part of the U.S. having plague, you shouldn't freak out. I mean, animals are reservoirs of disease. Armadillos can get leprosy, which I think is just patently unfair to them. They've got a lot going against them already.
0: I did know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you could probably catch it, right? Could you catch it from touching an armadillo? I know, isn't leprosy supposed to be like intensely uh, communicable? You know that? I don't know. I'm going to assume that you can. And steer clear of armadillos because they're weird little bastards anyway.
1: I don't think you should handle armadillos general. I'm I'm a hands-off armadillo <laughs> policy kind of guy.
2: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating Pride and the Queer Community All Year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com.
1: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is
0: where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
1: So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1 800 Discover to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card. I want to go to your point, Noel, because you said something that I think it mystifies me about this case. And I think we kind of get to an answer about why this happens. But as you said, One of the most mysterious aspects of this mysterious disease, the English sweats, was that the upper class of England, especially rich young dudes, seemed particularly vulnerable to it.
0: That's right. Um, Unlike, you know, the plague, which spared none, the bubonic plague, uh, and seemingly much like our, I hate to harp on it keep coming back to it but here we are uh coronavirus it seems to spare the the very young um well not the very old in the coronavirus case but in this case it did it seemed to spare the very young and the very old uh the english sweats it also didn't ever spread to scotland by the way so that's why they call it the english sweat specifically or ireland or wales Specifically, London, uh, England, and then a little bit in Europe, some of those other countries that we mentioned. It was very commonly seen in rural areas, but uh, very common as well in um, areas uh, where nobility uh, were were kicking around, uh, especially in London and the student populations of some of these very high prestige universities, Oxford and Cambridge, Cardinal Wolsey um, actually had a brush with the disease two times in that he got it twice. Uh, And and luckily for him, he was able to recover both times. But a lot of the folks that were in his household, like his staff, uh, did not end up being so lucky. A lot of folks did flee to Ireland, Scotland and France uh, just to die there, you know, you, there's, there's, no, there's no, uh, what is it? There's no geographical solution for a uh, spiritual problem, or in this case, you know, a deadly disease.
1: Yeah, and uh, it started to take root in the zeitgeist, the popular culture of the time. You know, a disease is uh, serious when people start giving it street names, like coronavirus has been called the Rona, for instance, the sweating sickness. Got the nickname Stop Gallant Stop Gallant, because it stopped so many young gallants uh, and and monasteries seem particularly vulnerable. You might think that monasteries are maybe not part of the upper class. They occupy a unique position, though, because monasteries are centers for literacy, right? they're They're academic in many ways. Um, but the fifteen fifty one outbreak, didn't affect monasteries near as much, not because they practiced better uh, hygiene, but because monasteries were dissolved by then. There is one theory, and I wanted to see what you thought about this the theory that people in the lower rungs of the socioeconomic ladder, which were the majority of people there, uh, there there's this theory that they were able to weather this storm of disease a little bit better. Because they had just been exposed to more disease. Kind of like the let your kids get dirty theory, I guess. hmm Exactly. Let them just
0: go around licking doorknobs and stuff. No, definitely not anymore, ever again. Oh, boy. Um, but, yeah, it's I don't know. I wonder about this sometimes, Ben. You know, we say, oh, I've got a strong immune system. Like, because I'm, you know a filthy, disgusting man. Uh, Is that true? What what, what do you, what do you know about the science behind this idea of boosting your immune system by like
1: living in squalor? Well, I am not a doctor. Neither are you. Neither is Casey. So this is not medical advice. You can't see the zoom folks, but I'm waving my hands in an emphatic, yeah. (laughs) In an emphatic, furious way. So that is not us saying go lick the floor or go get your kids to play in horse poop or something. Those are both just bad ideas. Both
0: of those sound like really solid insults. Say go lick the floor or (laughs) go tell your kids to play in horse poop. There we go. Just put, just putting that out
1: there. I don't know. You know, I had a realization I was thinking about places that we can't go in this year and probably beginning next year. And I missed the Renaissance fair festival or whatever it's called. And, uh, you know, Proust is right in remembrance of things past. S- the sense of smell is our primary gateway into memory. Mm-hmm. And when yep. I think of Renaissance Festival, I smell, you know, like beer and I smell tur- those enormous delicious turkey legs. Uh, but I also smell horse poop with nostalgia.
0: Totally. I'm, yeah, no, it absolutely is a, a, a very powerful sense memory. Uh, I have that for the circus as well. I, I can think of popcorn oh, yeah. and uh, an elephant poop, which is pretty much the same as horse poop. It smells very similar. Uh, but we're not here to talk about animal feces. We're here to figure out what the hell happened to the English sweats. How could something that had just ravaged the land and with no medical answer of any
1: kind just kind of sweated itself out? Oh. Oh, good turn of phrase there, man. Uh, We know that in 1881, a fellow named Dr. Arthur Borgier wrote a paper that he sent to the Anthropology Society of Paris where he said uh, he proposed a pretty racist thing that maybe had the predecessor of genetic research in there. His theory was that sweating sickness Affect, appeared to affect people who were English, but really was affecting people who were descended from Anglo-Saxons. and people who were descended from the Celts were spared because of some inherent inborn resistance or because of some Anglo-Saxon vulnerability. This is the kind of stuff that, that counted as a scientific research back then. but you know, it's weird that Henry VIII took the uh, pole position. In our headline today, we mentioned that uh, the actions of his father may have led to, I don't know, probably, le- I'm going to say it, probably led to the sweating sickness entering England. But why Why are we talking about Henry VIII? What-, what on earth does he have to do with the English sweats?
0: Well, he is Henry VIII. He is Henry VIII. He is, he is. Uh, and it actually, there's a theory that It possibly led to him becoming king because, uh, um, you know, there was such a high instance of infection among the royal class, it possibly uh, affected or rerouted kind of historical events. So in 1502, uh, Arthur, uh, who was the Prince of Wales, died quite suddenly and unexpectedly at the age of 15. This was just six months after he married Catherine of Aragon. That sounds familiar. Um, well, we'll get to that. There was no official like record of, of what his cause of death was, but a lot of folks uh, in the historical circles believe that he was uh, another one of the long list of nobles that succumbed to the sweating sickness. So he was the oldest man in the family. And he would have become king had he not died uh, at 15. So his younger brother, Henry, the Duke of York, uh, got the job instead and was crowned. Um, And that Henry, the Duke of York, became the Henry VIII of legend that we know so well. And he ended up marrying uh, his brother's widow, Catherine of Aragon. She was, in fact, the first of those six wives that uh, that he, uh, you know, Burned through, uh, much like the sweating sickness uh, mm-hmm. burned through the land. Henry was not a good dude, um, no. but yeah, if it wasn't for potentially sweating sickness, he might never have had the opportunity.
1: Yep, to be the the full piece of work that he ended up being. Hold the phone,
0: uh, we, we're doing we're doing that thing again um, where we've already gone long we're only halfway through the amazing research materials that we have uh we think this one deserves a two-parter we're really not just trying to mess with you lovely lovely listeners um we just try to we we try to have a standard we try to keep our episodes in the 35 to 40 minute range and um this one is looking to be a a doozy so uh, we're gonna come back uh, to you with a part two of the english sweats
1: yeah peek behind the scenes uh Casey starts indicating to us there's this sort of a storm cloud that so slowly builds across his brow if we're getting too long uh, so thanks as always to you super producer Casey Pagram. thanks to Gabe Luzier our research north star thanks to Alex Williams who composed the perfect soundtrack to this story of the sweating sickness
0: If you wish, you can follow us on social media. Uh, I think our favorite place is the Ridiculous Historians fan page on Facebook where you can interact with your fellow Ridiculous Historians. And to get in, you just have to say the magic word, which is me, Ben, or producer Casey Pegram's names, or some little tidbit uh, that indicates that you know what this show is, or just something to make us laugh. We're really pretty easy. Uh, Hit us up on that Facebook group. You can also find us as human beings individually on social media. I am at how now Noel Brown uh, exclusively on the Instagram.
1: honestly folks uh, it just make me laugh with a pun. And, and you're into ridiculous historians or just teach me a word I don't know. I would love to learn some more uh, weird words. Uh, you can also, while you're on the internet, find me on Instagram where I am building uh, I'm building survival kits right now. So find out more about that at, at Ben Bolin, Or you can find me on Twitter uh, where I have hot takes of plenty at Ben Bolan HSW. And finally,
0: thanks to Jonathan Strickland, the Quister. Uh, we hope to have you back very soon, buddy. You promised you'd bomb our Zooms, but you haven't showed up yet. I'm actually starting to miss you. And I hope you're okay. Uh, keep up that loop practicing. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year.